thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through his word. Thy praise confess, yea, of thy word, my tongue would sing, yea, of thy word, my tongue would sing, for thy commands are Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It is true, and it should be so, that we walk by faith and not by sight. But it is encouraging from time to time when we can see God clearly at work in our lives, is it not? It is for me. God's Word teaches us to be patient while we wait and to have faith, and we will continue to do that. But getting a glimpse of the beauty and the glory of heaven, even a hint of it, or as uh, C.S. Lewis often uh, says, a, a, a whiff of it, and the aroma of heaven, um, makes the journey so much easier. It's kind of like seeing the mountains in the distance when you're on a long journey. Uh, they give us hope. We keep our eyes, we see them in the distance, and so we know where we're going. When you're in a desert place, it's not like that. You just see endless of nothingness, and you're, you don't know when it's going to end. But when you see the prize before you, it can give you some focus and some perspective. David understood this when he was walking. He understood where he was walking toward and what he was working toward. The mark he was pressing toward in Psalm 27, as God calls His people to worship, hear the word of the Lord. David said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and they fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty. Everybody say, to behold the beauty. To behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret of His tabernacle shall He hide me. He shall set my feet upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in His tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. 
Hide not thy face far from me, and put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path because of mine enemies, and deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He will strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for giving us glimpses of glory. Lord, indeed, we would faint if in this life we had hope only in this life. But Lord, You give us glimpses of Your glory, of Your beauty, of Your holiness, O God. And by it, O God, we are strengthened as David was. We pray today, Lord, as we look heavenward, as we leave behind all of the things that we normally think about, our work, our toil, and we put it away for the great invitation of thinking about You. Communing with You and Your people in love and beauty. A picture indeed of heaven. Lord God, today we open our mouths like birds in the nest, hoping that You will fill it. That You will strengthen us, O oh God. That You would feed us from heaven. That You would change us. That we might grow to be more like You. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said. Amen. remain standing for just a few more moments as I read my text for you from the book of Luke chapter 8. My message today is simply the transfiguration. Luke chapter 8 starting in verse 28. And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. Not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. You are faithful to continue to speak to us, Lord. Your word is living. We pray, Lord God, that it would bring forth fruit, that it would come in us and change us and make us more like you. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. 
I've been using this piece of stained glass up here as a illustration for geography. I think Heath likes it when I do that. And uh, if you're looking at the stained glass, and that is the Sea of Galilee, uh, it is pretty much the center of most everything Jesus did during his three and a half years or ministry. So if you were looking at the Sea of Galilee and at the top, Capernaum, his hometown, over here where the baptismal font is, is the town of Nazareth. And in between Nazareth and the Sea of Galilee, just to the southwest, um, a very prominent mountain stands like a step leading into heaven. It is called Mount Tabor. Everybody say Mount Tabor. The early church fathers have told us, and it is a well-accepted historical truth, uh, that this is the mount where the transfiguration occurred. The Bible doesn't tell us that it's that, but we have no reason to doubt that the early church fathers were right about this. For several hundred years, they have continued to believe that this was this place. Mount Tabor is first mentioned in the Bible in the book of Judges when uh, shamefully Deborah had to convince Barak to go fight against the Canaanites and Barak uh, acquiesced and he said, only if you'll go with me. And uh, Barak comes down off of this mountain and uh, attacks the Canaanites and Sisera and defeats them. In modern times, this same mountain is the scene of a great modern battle that occurred in 1799. Um, there were 30,000 Ottomans. They were Islamic, uh, part of the Islamic horde that had come across Europe and uh, was trying to take over Europe again. And uh, there was a small troop of Frenchmen And they were only 3,000 men, but they had Napoleon Bonaparte as their general. How do you think they fared against the Ottomans? 3,000 Frenchmen and Napoleon Bonaparte against 30,000 Ottomans? No problem. Napoleon struck down the Ottomans there, and he took as his lead the Israelites, and he came off the mountain of Mount Tabor and destroyed the Ottoman uh, Turks there in 1799 at the battle of Mount Tabor. Nonetheless, Mount Tabor offers uh, here uh, for us, as we will see in the Synoptic Gospels, uh, a picture uh, of something that even if they're wrong about, certainly it's a great picture of where it is. If you're you're looking over this great valley southwest of the Sea of Galilee, it's just massive. You can see for miles and miles and miles and miles. And right out in the middle of this mass expanse of just you know land is this bulging uh it almost looks like the sun has set right in the earth and just stopped and it's it's very odd shaped it's a big round uh deal it's like the other half of a circle and it's all by itself it's not in a group of of mountains and so it's it it has a uh it looks like a great stage is being set for something amazing there the story takes place um Soon after, Jesus confronts his disciples with the fact that he was destined for a brutal death. Taking them into the valley of the shadow of death unwillingly, he now leads them 
to a literal mountaintop experience that they would never forget. Matthew is the first to record the story, so let's just jump in and take a look at what Matthew had to say. Remember, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the what? What are they called? They're called the Synoptic Gospels. And so Matthew uh, records the story first. Matthew 17. This is right following the rebuke of Christ. And if you were not here last week and you did not hear the message about uh, sometimes we need a rebuke, I would uh, encourage you to do that. Hopefully Jonathan will get some of these ones that have been on the uh, it recorded on the website here soon and you can listen to it. Um, and if anyone wants to help him, I'm sure he would love some help with that. But anyway, Peter's famous rebuke had just happened and there were two important miracles. And uh, I told you I was going to talk about the transfiguration this week, so I'm not talking about those miracles, but I am going to go back next week and talk about them. The resurrection of the daughter of the synagogue leader and the healing of the woman with the issue of blood who touched the hem of Christ's garment. So these things had just happened, and then we come to Matthew 17, verse 1, where Matthew records his uh, version of the story. <clears throat> Matthew 17, 1, after six days, everybody say six days. It's important to remember this number, six, okay? After six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John his brother, and he brings them to a high mountain apart. Remember who is with him, Peter, James, and John. And he takes them to a high mountain. Okay, Verse 2, he was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as light. I was telling them up here in the uh, leader circle that we form before church begins that you know it's easy just to walk right past this this statement and just read it kind of like in passing yeah Jesus was transfigured and just kind of move on but you know this is really not a word we use in everyday language. How about you, Jason? Are you ever you ever at work and you're you're welding one of these medical trucks and, and you're talking and you just say hey I need something transfigured over here. I mean, is that something you ever use? Anybody ever use this word in normal conversation? It's not a word I normally use. And so to hear it, it's kind of like the only place you're going to probably find this used is going to be right here in the Bible. So as I was working on it, I almost just kind of walked right past it, but I'm glad I didn't. Jesus was transfigured before them. So what does it mean? Now, only when you stop to think about what the word means are you confronted with the beautiful truth that's being conveyed that you will otherwise miss. So, Heath, you're just walking along and you're like, yeah, Jesus was transfigured and you just keep moving. You've you got to stop and go, when you read the Bible, when you read a word like that, you go, okay, what just happened? Jesus was transfigured. And so sometimes the dictionary is a very helpful tool. Because it sort of breaks it down for you and it, and it forces you to look at it. We're like, well, I, something happened up there. It's the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration? Well, Jesus was transfigured. That's what it was. And so as we read those scriptures, we have to be a little bit more uh, curious. And we got to look into what these words mean. So I looked it up. Transfigure means to transform into something more beautiful. Or elevated, the word 
is made luminous or is transfigured. Synonyms with to transform or to metamorphosize. You guys know some of those words, right? Now imagine that. And this this really what got, got me thinking. Um, we were actually listening to some beautiful music that was kind of taking me out of this world and just sort of taking me heavenward. And as I was listening to this music and I began to read this definition of this world, I just got to thinking to myself, how could it be, Steve? How could it be that here Peter, James, and John saw Jesus transfigured? Now, you have to just think about it. Just Can, can we think about it just for a minute? Here we have Peter, James, and John who had spent years with the first ever sinless man since Adam to walk on earth. A guileless man, a man who was a lover of men and women, a selfless servant, a gentle, kind, and merciful man. Oh, what would it be to have even been around a man like that? To behold such beauty in a world ruled by the prince of darkness. You know, I love beautiful, godly men. I love it. And and Steve, I don't want to embarrass you, but my life has been greatly improved. Most mornings, I get to see Steve. He comes to pick Nathaniel up before they head out to a job or Benjamin when he goes. And there he is. And I'm glad that every morning he, 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 he doesn't want a handshake. He wants a hug. And we usually embrace out there on the porch or he comes inside or maybe Elizabeth brings him some coffee or whatever. But my day is made so much better. I think, Steve, I think you're a beautiful, godly man. And I, I am so glad that we get to see each other so often. But as good as Steve is, could you imagine living with a man like Jesus? Just that. Just, just set aside all the, he can walk on water and, and he's the son of God. But just, just set it aside for a moment. But could you imagine a man that lovely? One who was kind and, and merciful and, and who thought about you and, and your needs and, and, and looked after you. And... And wasn't there just to talk, 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 talk so you could hear what he had to say, but was listening to. Could you imagine being around someone like this? How beautiful it would be. I just got to thinking about it and I just was thinking, but here we have a narrative where he becomes even more beautiful than that. More elevated than that. This is really beyond my comprehension. To see His light shine among men must have been glorious. I think I'd rather see that than the miracles that He wrought. What beauty it would have been to behold His face, to touch His callous hand and embrace Him. Good godly men are food for my soul. They are rare indeed, but none of them would have been like Him. The absence of His goodness after His death must have been so much more than we all feel when our grandfather or our father or mother pass on and we feel like we're kind of alone in the world. 
We feel alone because their shadow no longer hovers over us, protecting us, inspiring us to better lives, setting a higher standard for us to follow. But He was all of this and more. By His compassionate hands, He fed the hungry. He cooled the hot grief of parents who had lost children by raising them from the dead. And as He had just done a few days before, a woman with a chronic illness who day after day and year after year and month after month suffered and suffered and spent all of her money trying to solve her illness. You know, she really never meant a lot to me. Until I, I know what it's like to live with the woman who suffers every day. I wouldn't mention it if she were here, but apparently she's, she's not. Ended in a moment. He touches, she touches the hem of his garment and all that struggle, all that labor is, is over. So not only was he a lovely, beautiful, sinless, godly man we would love to be around, but he was a miracle worker. All of that. And he could, all he could do And yet, he he was made more beautiful. He was elevated even more. He was transfigured before them. Oh, people of God, this was not merely a short stop in the life of Christ. It was a milestone that we cannot stroll past. And today, for just a moment, let's stop and try to see what they saw. Peter, James, and John, they missed it. They did not even see it. As glorious as he was for 33 and a half years on the earth, God had something even more, everybody say more glorious for him. But to get there, he would have to die. This is mind-boggling and it should boggle boggle your mind today that there could be something greater than what he was, but there was. That's how it works. As we know, he had just taught them He that tries to save his life will lose it, but he that loses his life for the sake of the kingdom, what does he do? He finds something so much more glorious. God invites us to our own transfiguration. You know, Andy was telling us from the catechism that God not only justifies us, right? That's glorious, right? But He adopts us. But that's even more glorious. So now not only are we just not just forgiven of our sins, but now we're made His children. Amen? And now does He not only just justify us and cleanse us from our sin and make us His children, but then He begins to make us like Him. Can you see? It's glorious, but then there's more glorious and even more. And even though uh, Jesus Christ was the second Adam and He was as glorious as He was, He was more so glorious. He was the miracle worker. He was the sinless man. But even that man had something more glorious in store for him. Wow. Please don't miss it. This new life only comes from daily dying, a daily losing of our lives. Some of us are, it seems to be content enough to be justified And we don't really think about our adoption. And some of us seem content enough to be in our Father's house at His table. But we don't want to grow up and be transformed and be sanctified to be like Him. To love the lost. To reach out your hands to them. To feed the hungry. We don't seem to want to do that. But that is what the Christian life is all about. 
It is a gradual step heavenward to be transfigured into something so glorious and so beautiful. One day, Steve, we're going to shine like the sun. But God now is changing us every day. Matthew's account says, Behold, there appeared with them Moses and Elias. And when you read Elias, just change it to Elijah. This is one of the things the King James should just do. I don't know why they don't, but we know that's who they're talking about. Moses and Elijah. They were the personification of the law and the prophets. Whenever the Old Testament was referred to, it was broken down into the law and the prophets. And so what we see standing here before us is not Moses per se, it is him, it says that it is, but Moses was a representative of the law because the law was given uh, to him and through him and he wrote the books of the law himself with some help. And Elijah, of course, was not all the prophets, but he represented the prophets and he was known and thought of as the greatest prophet because, of course, he did not die. He was taken up in a chariot of fire in the end. And so here we have Jesus standing here and he's standing aside the law and he's standing beside the prophets. And the Peter and James and John had the opportunity to see something beautiful that they missed. And we may be reading the story and we may be missing it too. Peter then answered. He said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Doesn't this sound like a great idea? This was not a great idea. This was the absolute wrong idea. This was worse than Peter cutting the ear off the guy in the garden. This was worse than Peter even denying the Lord, I believe, in the Garden of Gethsemane later. This was insanity. This was not the message of God. This was not the message of Christ. But Peter, we'll learn a little bit about this later. Peter was wrong. He was often wrong because he opened his mouth when he should have kept quiet. Verse 5, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. A cloud, a voice like at the baptism, redirecting their attention where it should have been. Because I'm telling you right now, if you set Jesus in His glory and you stand beside Him, Moses and Elijah, then what you should be looking at is Jesus. Not Moses and not Elijah. You should be looking at Jesus. But Peter was looking at Moses and Elijah. He was starstruck. He was like some of us who meet a famous person and we feel in awe. Oh, wow. Oh, they're a star. They're, they're somebody. We Oh, a, a historical figure maybe. But when the disciples heard the voice from heaven, they fell on their faces. And they were sore afraid. On their faces. Now they're, now they're, now they're getting it right. Now they're now they're understanding. Opening their mouth and giving Jesus good ideas in the midst of being in the presence of the law and the prophets of Christ. This was not good, but now on their faces they had it right. Because that's where they should have been from the very beginning is on their faces. As they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them saying, Tell no man the vision until the Son of Man be risen from the dead. And His disciples asked Him, Why do you say to the... Why then say the scribes that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elijah shall come first and restore all things. In fact, he said, 
Elijah came already and you missed it. You've done, un, people have done to him whatever they wanted to do. You see, they'd already killed John the Baptist, but they didn't understand. See, they're seeing Elijah. They're like, I thought Elijah was supposed to come before, and now he's after. You You were here, and now he's here. This is not, the order is not right. That's what they're noticing. This is not, this is out of order. You've been here, and now here's Elijah. But they said, Elijah must come first. And he looks at him and he goes, oh, yeah, Elijah is supposed to come first. But they missed it. And they cut his head off. And people rejected him. And they're going to do the same thing to me. Peter, James, and John had missed it. They were wondering why the Old Testament had said Elijah would come first. They had seen him for the first time. They didn't know John was the fulfillment of the prophecy. Now let's see what Mark has to say. If you notice, our text had a whole lot more than what you just read in Matthew. Now we're in Mark. After six days. Everybody say six days. Can't miss the six days. He takes with him Peter, James, and John. So we got six days. We got Peter, James, and John. He leads them up to a high mountain, right? Apart from themselves. So all the elements of the story are the same. Six days. He leads them apart to a mountain. He takes Peter, James, and John and... They go apart to be by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow. And Mark adds the statement in there, so white that no fuller on earth could whiten them this white. And a fuller was basically uh, a guy who had a whole lot of bleach, and he could take something white and make it really, really white. And he's saying, this wasn't whiteness like I'd ever seen on any garment, on any uh, material, on any clothing anywhere. This was so beyond that. Matthew described it as glistening white. There appeared unto them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So now we're learning that they're talking to him. All right? Elijah and Moses were talking to him. They must have, this must have been an incredible treat for Moses and Elijah to talk to Jesus. They're having a conversation with the Messiah, the Son of God, the final great prophet that had come to the world, the second Adam, and they're having a conversation. What could you even imagine they were talking about? This is amazing to me. They were talking. I mean, wouldn't you have loved to have it, Derek? A little, you know, some sort of a something? Hey, how you doing? I mean, I, I have no idea. I won't even try to imagine. But I can tell you, That I hope if God ever blessed me to hear such talk, I pray I would have the wisdom to listen to what they were saying and keep my mouth shut. Slow to speak. Everybody say slow to speak. Everybody say swift to hear. You see, this is not what Peter did. He quickly jumped up and he offered his good idea. I mean, really? Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are talking and Peter goes, hey, 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 guys, hey, hey, I know we ought to do it. I got a great idea. Can you imagine it, Heath? This is the goal. This is our human flesh. It's our pride. We have great ideas. Let's build tabernacles. Woo! I used to I used to have a pastor, and he used to joke. He loved to. He, he had a lot of problems, but I love him a lot. But he used to like to go and be the pastor of a new church so they could build a building. He loved to go through the building process. He loved to. 
get all the money and do the contractors and make a beautiful building and design it the way he likes. So his, every now and then he'd joke, he'd go, let's build. Like we'd already built a new sanctuary and he'd, he'd go, let's build. You know, it was kind of like a thing. And so this is Peter. Peter's like, let's build something. You know, that's what people did back in the day when great things happened. You know, they built stuff. It says in verse six, Peter said this because he did not know what to say. Isn't that what we do sometimes? We talk when we should just not say anything. We... He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what they had said. And we'll find out. And we, we heard it in our text. We get to Luke. He didn't hear the conversation. He wasn't listening to it. Could you imagine missing that? Peter, James, and John were there. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are talking. And they don't even know what they were talking about because they weren't listening. We'll find out why they weren't listening here in a minute. Jesus does not even address Peter's words. He just goes on. Sometimes this is the nicest thing people can do when we're being foolish. They just ignore us and just keep going on. They just move on. There was a cloud, it overshadowed them. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. This is exactly what we heard in Matthew. Suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. Now Steve, this is when Jesus only is the right thing. Church, may we see Jesus only today as we consider the transfiguration Moses was great Elijah was great but Jesus was the one who shone like the sun it was he whom the voice of heaven directs our attention see this is what's going on here he's they see Moses wow they're in awe of him they see Elijah they had dreamed as children of him and his chariot of fire of the great uh encounter with the prophets of Baal they 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 see these miracles and they get these things in their mind and like wow this is incredible this is fantastic Woo! and the voice from heaven says listen to my son If, if, if you're not seeing this He's telling them, yeah, Moses is here, Elijah is here, that's fine, but my son's here. It's time for everybody to shut up, and it's time for him to talk. He's who we need to listen to. They came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead, and they kept that saying to themselves, questioning with one another, what in the world this raising from the dead could possibly mean? Many times, the Word of God is... So true and so simple that we just look right past it. Jesus said, I'm going to die and I'm going to have to raise from the dead. They're like, wonder what that could possibly mean. Well, wonder what that could mean. You know, when the scripture says that we are supposed to die daily, when we're supposed to lose our life, when we're supposed to take up our cross and follow him every single day, and we go, well, wonder what that could possibly mean. What could God really want from me? I mean, you know, uh, I attend church once a week and, and, you know, I try to, you know, teach my kids Bible verses and stuff. And yeah, I mean, that's got, that's probably dying daily, right? No, that's not dying daily. That's taking up a a nicer lifestyle, a cleaner way of living. Dying daily is what you want. 
And what drives you and what you desire, you lay it down at the feet of Jesus and you say, I don't have a life anymore. My life is hid in you. I'm not looking for uh, a life of peace and security and prosperity. I'm laying down my life and I'm saying, God, what will you have me to do? That's what laying down your life is. And he's telling them he's going to die. And he's going to tell that he has, what could he possibly mean? What did he mean, guys? He meant that he was going to die. And that he would be raised from the dead. They had seen that happen before. They had seen just a few days before. They had seen the leader of of the synagogue, the daughter, risen from the dead. They had seen miracles where Christ had risen people from the dead. And so they didn't understand it because they didn't want to understand it. Resurrection only comes after death. It is incomprehensible as the virgin birth had been to them. It was time for them to begin to learn about the sowing of spiritual things. Resurrection only comes after the seed of life is covered in the dirt of death like the seed, like the darkness of the cocoon. This must come before metamorphosis, before transformation. And they ask Him, they said, they get back into the same question. I thought Elijah was supposed to come first. He told them he had. We get to our text in Luke chapter 8 and we'll see if there's a little bit more here to add as we take a final pass at the narrative here. Luke chapter 8, verse 28, it came to pass about eight days. Anybody hear anything that sounds strange to your mind? How many days did Matthew say it was? How many days did Mark say? Now what's Luke saying? Now, we are not people who do not worship God with our minds. We're not people that check our brains at the door. And I hope when children read the Word of God, I hope when adults read the Word of God, and you read a story and it says six days, and another story and it says six days, and you read a third account in the Scripture and it says eight days, you should stop and you should go, uh-oh, that doesn't sound right. He said it's happened six days. He said it happened six days. And now he's saying eight days. Is this wrong? We're not afraid to look in the Word of God. There are no contradictions When it contradicts, it's because of our minds. Now, I don't have time to go into the whole thing, but it doesn't say eight days. It says about eight days. Everybody say about. Six days and eight days are pretty close to each other, but there's a whole lot more to it. When we talk about Christ uh, being risen from the dead, three days, if you take the time and you put it together, it doesn't sound like three days to me and you. He dies on a Friday night and he's risen on a Sunday morning, early in the morning. Count, try to get three days in there all you can and you're going to have a hard time because three days don't fit in there the way that we think. The way that they count time and the way the Greeks counted time and Luke was a Greek are different. And if you want to look into it for further study, you'll find out there are no problems here. But don't get to a place in Scripture where it says six days, six days and eight days and just go, oh, it doesn't matter. It does matter. God's Word is true. It's always true. And we're not people that don't think about things when we read the Word of God, Okay. All right, moving on. In verse 28 of Luke chapter 8, we learn for the first time why they went to the mountain. And we read it already in the text, but why did they go to the mountain? Everybody say, they went to... Come on, they went to... Pray. They went to the mountain to pray. Now, Matthew and Mark didn't tell us this, but Luke tells us they went to the mountain to pray. They set themselves apart. They took time away from others to pray. They went up there where it was difficult for others to follow a couple of thousand feet to the top of this high mountain. We must do this. We must get away. If not to the mountains, we must get into our closets. 
We must go on long, beautiful walks. We must get away from the hustle and bustle of life and the toil of it all. And we must find a place alone to pray. All of us. Andy, you're going to be busy. But there'll be no better time spent than those moments that you can be alone with God in prayer. Talking to Him. Give me wisdom, Lord. Speak to my heart. Help me to do what You've caused me to do. What You've called me to do. I think it's beautiful how in Luke's account, they went up there to pray. And as he prayed, it says... The fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistening. He was transformed as he prayed. Everybody say he was transformed as he prayed. You know, when we pray, it changes us. God, may it be so that we are changed as we pray. Somehow this most glorious man who ever lived suddenly became more glorious, more beautiful, higher like the mountain he was on, somehow God gave him and those who were with him a glimpse of what was to come. A look at Jesus as he would be seen in Revelation 1 when John would see him many years later. Verse 30 says, And behold, there he talked with two men. They were Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory. And we hear that now they're in glory. So they're in glory, but their faces aren't shining like the sun. They're Their garments aren't glistening, but they're in the glory of Christ here. And it says what they talked about. It said they spoke of His decease. They spoke of His death, which He should accomplish at Jerusalem. So there was a conversation between Moses, Elijah, and Jesus about His coming death. You see, Jesus had never died before, but Moses could explain to Him what that might be like. Elijah can explain to him what it means to pass from this life into the next. And they're talking about it. I don't know what they said about it, but it says that's what they were talking about. It says they were talking about his death. They were talking about what angels could not comprehend. They were talking about the great mystery of how his life would be sown in shame and come forth in glory. Oh, to hear those words that they spoke on the day of this transfiguration. People of God, if we had any idea what God had in store for those who love Him, we could bear this life so much easier. Brother or sister here today, we see through a glass darkly. We walk in shadows, but it will not always be so. One day, John tells us, we will see Him as He is, and we will be as He is, as He was that day. We won't be like Moses, and we won't be like Elijah, but we'll be like Him. Bathed in light and beauty, free from sin and death. Death will lay like an empty shroud in the graves that we have left behind. And we will be like Him. We will share in His glory. Unencumbered by the weights that beset us now. Oh God, Lord, show us Your glory today. Let us stand silent in Your presence and see only You. As glorious as the law was, it was a scaffolding around the true holy habitation of God. As glory as the prophets were, Blazing in the sky with chariots of fire, Jesus, the light Himself, shines brighter than them all. And from His glowing face, we need no veil like the Israelites did for Moses because His light is pure and it is indeed food for our souls. 
Verse 32 says, we learned something new here in the story. Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. So why did they miss this great conversation? Because they were sleeping. See, Jesus took them at the prey, and instead of praying, they slept. Does this remind you of something that happens later on? Remember, Jesus invites them into the Garden of Gethsemane. Watch and pray with me just a little while. And what do they keep doing, guys? Falling asleep. Falling asleep. Sleep got in the way of them witnessing one of the greatest events that ever occurred on this earth. They missed it. Peter wakes up. I've done this to people before. I've done this to my children. Hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah. You ever, you ever, anybody ever see? They just start talking to me. Oh, I'm up, I'm up, I'm up. Anybody ever wake your kids up and they do that? They pretend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, then you guys have kids like that? Oh, he's got some kids like that. I was up, Dad. I was, I've been up for like an hour, an hour and a half, maybe two hours. <laughs> Did all the laundry, cleaned the house. It was great. Peter wakes up out of a sleep. He sees what's going on. Hey, hey, you know what we should do? We should build some tabernacles. That's what we should do. Oh, man, it's a good thing that we're here, Lord. You know? I mean, come on. Came to pass, they departed. Peter wakes up just in time to see Moses and Elijah leaving. You know, if we could tarry in prayer and not sleep, who knows what we might see. Amen? Jeep Masters, good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Not knowing what they had said. See, he didn't know what they said. He just had an idea. He wasn't listening. He missed the whole thing and he had a, he, and he had a great idea. But I'm telling you, I think we do this in our life. I think that we, we divide our affections. We, we love the law, you know, we love the prophets and we love Jesus too. It's not like that, folks. Jesus is all of it. Amen? They were a picture and a shadow of it. But it, it's kind of hard to, 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 to separate that in our minds. And, and what God was doing on this day was to say, you need to listen to Jesus. Because you haven't understood the law. And you haven't understood the prophets. And you didn't understand the miracles. You're missing it all. You should hear my son. God corrects Peter's error and he redirects him to look on Jesus. That's what that was all about. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him while he spake thus there came a cloud overshadowed them and they feared as they entered into the cloud and there came a voice out of the cloud saying this is my beloved son hear him and when the voice was passed jesus was found alone and they kept it close and they told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen and it came to pass on the next day when they were come down from the hill much people met him john does not record the story of the transfiguration, but he does say in John 1.14 that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And many biblical scholars believe this is in reference to the transfiguration. Second Peter chapter 2 says, We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. 
For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came a voice from heaven, the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice also came from heaven when we were with him on the mount. I think today, a focus on Christ, a focus on his glory, a focus away from ourselves. I know it's so hard to tear us away from all the things that we want to think about. You might think I'm a little bit silly, but sometimes I start conversations and and when they where they go, I almost want to go, can we not talk about that today? Can we just not talk about that today? Just can we just just not today? Does anybody ever feel this way on the Sabbath day? Anybody ever feel this way on the Lord's day that like can we just can we just leave that stuff behind i'll tell my kids like could we fight tomorrow like on monday let's duke it out let's let's fight it out who didn't clean this and that and didn't you know let's fight tomorrow but today let's not fight at all let's just think about the lord and his goodness and his mercy oh but i got this to do and i got that to do i'm gonna be doing this put it off wait till sundown if you're if you're that desperate when the sun sets then start talking about it more and more I am understanding it seems to me that the simple powerful beauty of the Lord should cause everything else to just be insignificant in our sight as we focus on Him and we don't divide our loyalties and our ideas and we don't throw out our good ideas but we just look on Him and that's what the transfiguration was about it was setting Him apart from everything in the whole wide world, Jesus only. Let us pray. Lord, you spoke through your prophet Isaiah that on this day, that if we would think your thoughts, if we would think of you, that if we would forget all of the things we normally think about and we would think about you and your word and 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 that it would be like us spending time together lord i need more time with you lord may the sabbath not merely be a rest a sleep away but may it be a rest a wakeful arrest where we relax and we think about you, where all of those many projects we have and the things that demand our attention, Lord, that we would just put them aside. Lord, we need to rest in you today. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen. Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.